0: Okay, well, um, my name is Laura Moracek, and I want to start off by asking a question What difference can one woman make? And the answer is all the difference in the world. Whether you're a single woman or you're married, younger or older, your life can impact generations to come. Furthermore, if you're a devoted follower to Jesus Christ and desiring to grow in your faith, you can have an amazing spiritual impact on the lives of others. For that reason, every woman or young woman or girl in this room ought to be seeking out ways to spiritually impact someone else around her. And by God's grace, the things I'm about to share can be used to equip you to do just that. So tonight I'm going to be focusing on a three-word phrase of the Bible, reverent and behavior. But it's part of a key passage, and I'd like to begin by reading all of Titus 2, verses 3 through 5 to y'all. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. Why should older women be reverent? The two reasons given are mentioned in this passage so that they may encourage younger women to live godly lives and so God's word will not be dishonored. Older women are called to play an important leadership role in encouraging younger women, and this concept is emphasized by the term translated encourage. It's not the ordinary term for encourage that's used in the Bible. Instead, Paul uses an unusual Greek verb. I'm going to try not to butcher this. Sophronideso, which is used only here. The word literally means to bring someone to her senses. It's the verbal form of the adjective sensible, which is used in verse 5. So in the text that we're looking at, it involves older women training younger women to be sensible or self-controlled and self-disciplined. Older, more mature women are designed by God to be leaders or mentors for younger women and the clear implication is that younger women need older women to help bring them to their senses. It's really all about discipleship, and if you want to be made complete in Christ, it would benefit you to be personally involved in discipleship. On the receiving end, discipleship involves submitting yourself to the counsel and wisdom of a more godly experienced person. On the giving end, discipleship involves investing yourself to train another person to be godly. And obviously, as all of this plays out, it accomplishes the second goal of the passage that the word of God will not be dishonored. Note that the passage focuses on the role of older women. Well, how old is old? As someone quipped, you know you're old when you switch bedtimes with your children. (laughs) And that's looking more and more appealing to me every day. In Titus 2, Paul doesn't specify the age of a woman would have to be qualified as older, but childbearing typically ends at about 40 years of age, and correspondingly, childrearing ends at about 60. It therefore seems reasonable that the passage is referring to women who are at least 60 years old, old enough to experience raising a child. 60 is the age that Paul mentions in 1 Timothy 5.9, regarding widows who qualified to receive financial support from the church. However, since the exact age is not mentioned in Titus 2, a specific numerical age is not a hard and fast rule. For example, my youngest child graduated from college eight years ago when I was 54. So it can vary a little bit. In New Testament times, older women served the church in numerous ways. As Paul mentions in this passage, a key function of older women was to teach and encourage younger women in the things of the Lord. They also ministered to each other and to women in the church of any age, single, married, or widowed. They visited the sick and those in prison. They provided hospitality to Christian travelers, especially those in ministry. In towns that were strongly pagan, Older Christian women would go through the streets and marketplaces searching for abandoned newborns who were unwanted and had been left to die by their parents. Since abortion was both dangerous and expensive and birth control did not exist at that time, an unwanted baby was simply abandoned at birth. Some male babies were raised to be slaves or gladiators and some girls were trained for prostitution. Older Christian women who rescued these infants would give them to church families for adoption. It's clear that these older women were acting in godly ways and in a manner that honored the Lord. Author Martha Peace says that at the time she discovered this Titus 2 passage, she was not exactly an older woman, but she knew she had so far to go that by the time she learned and applied everything that was needed, she would be an older woman. (laughs) So young or old, this passage applies to all of us. The word reverent sounds almost a bit old-fashioned, doesn't it? And when you read certain versions of the Bible, it reinforces this idea. For example, the King James Version says, The aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. And the Amplified Version of the Bible states, Bid the older women similarly to be reverent and devout in their deportment as becomes those engaged in sacred service. But Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active, so no matter how antiquated the word reverent may sound, it is very much an up-to-date term that applies to Christian women today, and it would behoove all of us to become more familiar with what it means. In Titus 2.3, reverent in behavior is introduced with the term likewise, which connects it back to the character traits described for men in verse 2. Sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, or sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. All of these are summed up for the older women in being reverent in behavior. The word reverent refers to what is fitting and proper for what is sacred. The word behavior refers to both actions of behavior and the demeanor of attitude. The full description describes the behavior befitting a priest in the temple. These are the actions and attitudes of holiness lived out in daily life. A woman with this characteristic would fit the description Paul gives in 1 Timothy 5, 5-10 of a godly widow. She is devoted to the Lord, rejects worldly enticements, is faithful to her family, generous to strangers, humble in service, and compassionate to those in distress. She has true piety and practices holiness in her daily life. Anna and Dorcas, who was also referred to as Tabitha, are wonderful examples of women with reverent behavior. Anna, who is described in Luke 2, 36-37, illustrated such virtue. At the age of 84, she had been a widow for several decades, and she never left the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Anna's life, which could have been a long, sad, and lonely one, was instead filled with purpose and glorious service to the Lord. Her habits of worship, fasting, and prayer required commitment, dedication, self-control, and consecration to God. Because she lived so reverently, the Holy Spirit enabled her to immediately recognize the infant Jesus when Joseph and Mary brought him to the temple. The moment she saw him, she came up and began giving thanks to God, and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Tabitha, who is found in Acts 9, 36 to 39, was a Christian woman who followed Christ's teachings about how to treat others, and she demonstrated a generosity of spirit. She was full of good works and acts of charity, making tunics and garments for women and others in need. Her reverent behavior was well known in her community, and lives on 2,000 years later in the word of God. John MacArthur comments that the requirements to be reverent in behavior is not limited to reverence for God, which might be assumed, but also refers to being honorable and dignified. He continues that older women are to be sensible and spiritually healthy, and I'd like to take some time to address each of these aspects of reverence. The first aspect of reverence, as discussed by John MacArthur, is conducting one's life in an honorable and dignified manner. According to Webster's 1828 Dictionary, the word honorable means living with tried virtue or integrity, worthy of respect, and regarded with esteem. The word dignified is defined as exalted, honored, and noble. Honor and dignity are to be consistently displayed in a woman's godly character. She is to demonstrate her reverence in the way she behaves, not just part of her inner disposition. This can include gestures and habits, indeed the way she carries herself in all respects and on all occasions. This might come out in the way she dresses, talks, relates to others, and prioritizes her time. Matthew Henry, a Bible commentator from the 17th century, said that older women should keep a pious decency and decorum in clothing and gesture in looks and speech and all their deportment and this from an inward principle and habit of holiness which influences and and orders the outward conduct of all times at all times this brings to mind 1 Corinthians 10:31 whatever you do do all to the glory of god If a godly woman is to dress in an honorable and dignified manner, she should take her cues from God's word. For example, 1 Timothy 2.9 says, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Ladies, what we wear is not only a direct reflection on our character, but it also has the potential to adversely impact those who struggle with sins of the flesh. We never want our dress to cause a brother to stumble. So think about that when you decide what to wear each day. If a godly woman speaks in an honorable and dignified manner, she's not going to spout off immediately what comes to mind. She's not going to respond in anger, reply impatiently, make a sarcastic remark, or give in to the temptation to gossip and slander. Instead, she will strive to speak carefully, whether she's interacting with her husband, a friend, her children, someone who irritates her, her coworkers, a stranger, or even an enemy. Her desire should be to lift up and build up. The Bible says a lot about godly speech, so allow me to read some applicable passages. Colossians 4.6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Proverbs 31.26, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Ephesians 4.29-31, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Proverbs 15, 1 and two. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pours out folly. And lastly, Proverbs 16.24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and healthy to the body. If you struggle with your speech, make it a habit to to regularly meditate on these and other scriptures that provide guidance on what to say and how to say it, and pray One scripture you can pray is Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. The way a godly woman prioritizes her time will look completely different from the world. She will not let her days be consumed with social media, relaxation, and focus on self, but instead will desire to die to self in order to serve the Lord and others. This is an area in my life that the Lord continues to sanctify, and I have a number of um, little note cards by my desk that remind me of my need to wisely spend each day that God gives me. One of my note cards from the book Valley of Vision says, how precious is time and how painful to see it fly with little done to good purpose. I need thy help. A quote by Spurgeon says, A little folding of the hands to sleep is all they crave. Yet by these littles, the day goes by. Two of my note cards quote Proverbs. Proverbs 14.23 says, All hard work brings profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. And Proverbs 5.23 says, For lack of discipline, they will die led astray by their own great folly. One of the most powerful note cards, for me at least, says, every lazy day is a wasted opportunity. That quote was uttered by newscaster Tim Russert, who unexpectedly died of a brain aneurysm at the age of 57. Personal discipline with regard to time can be as simple as the two-letter word N-O. Christ didn't say indulge yourself. Instead, he said in Matthew 16, 24, deny yourself. So whether it regards her dress, her speech, or her use of time, a Titus 2 woman should be an example to others with honorable and dignified conduct. Her life should be above reproach, and she should be the type of woman that younger ones can look up to. While she's definitely not perfect, she understands the need for repentance, grace, humility, and the call to righteous living that we all have because we have been redeemed. Martin Luther commented, they should behave themselves as becometh holiness, and Titus II women should live in a way that reflects their calling to holiness. First Peter 1.15 says, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. The next um, aspect of reverence that John MacArthur mentions is being sensible which stems from our thinking and our mindset. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines sensible as having moral perception, being discerning, and possessing good sense or sound reason. As believers, we are all capable of being sensible. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Sadly, our world does not emphasize sound judgment and reason. Instead, it promotes decisions based on emotion and feelings. If you're not getting along with your husband, divorce him. If you're angry at someone, lash out. If you're feeling discontent, go shopping and put it on the credit card. If your children continue to misbehave, discipline them out of anger. And if you don't want to submit to the church leadership, leave the church in a huff and slander the elders. But that's not what the lord wants from us he tells us in romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of god what is good and acceptable and perfect i think about the amazing blessing that our granddaughter has not only one set but two sets of grandparents who love her dearly and enjoy spending time with her so as i preach truth to myself Just as quickly as my emotions ratcheted up, they subside by God's grace. Another example of stinking thinking is pondering the future and becoming anxious over the what ifs. As we think about our own lives and the lives of our families, a thousand things can go wrong in our minds as we think about the future. Concerns about health, the behavior of our children, finances, friendships and other relationships, And whether our children or grandchildren will one day be saved can consume us. But Philippians 4.8 tells us to dwell on what is true and what ifs are not true. We must constantly remind ourselves of this if we are to possess a sound mind. Some of you probably participated in our ladies' book club this past summer when we read and discussed Evidence Not Seen by Darlene Diver-Rose. Darlene was a missionary in Asia during World War II and she suffered unspeakable horrors in a concentration camp. As she contemplated the possibility of being executed, she prayed, Lord, I believe all that the Bible says. I do walk by faith and not by sight. I do not need to feel you near because your word says you will never leave me nor forsake me. As Darlene prayed these things, the words of Hebrews 11.1 1 filled her mind. She said, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Evidence not seen. That was what I put my trust in, not in feelings, but in the unchanging person of Jesus Christ. I was assured by God that my faith rested on, not on feelings, but on the person of my matchless, changeless Savior. When the world calls us to give in to our feelings and emotions, let us remember instead to rein in our thoughts and employ sound reason. How can we do that? By reminding ourselves of truths from God's word that set us straight and help us to think biblically about each situation. The final aspect of reverence that John MacArthur mentions is being spiritually healthy. And this aspect is actually what enables us to live in a dignified and honorable manner and be sensible. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines healthiness as soundness and salutary, which means producing good effects and beneficial. Now, let's apply this to our spiritual life. To be spiritually healthy means to be sound in our faith, which is spiritually beneficial and will produce good effects. All of us are works in progress, and we are all at varying levels of spiritual health but we are all striving for the same goal, to be more like Jesus. So here are a few questions we can ask ourselves to evaluate what needs to change or improve. Are we in God's Word daily? Are we simply reading it to check a box? Or are we meditating on it and asking the Lord for help to live out what we are learning? Are we in prayer on a daily basis? What takes up the majority of our prayer time? praising God and thanking him for our many blessings or asking God for more? What sin is hindering us in our walk with Christ? What can we do to ensure that this sin doesn't disqualify us from an effective ministry to others? Are we joyfully submitting ourselves to the leadership God has placed over us? That can include church leadership like the elders, our husbands, our employer, or our parents if we're younger. Do we have a teachable spirit? Are we humble when corrected? And do we desire to repent? Does our motivation to serve God and others stem from joyous gratitude for our salvation? And finally, do we trust God with the hard things in our lives and seek to think biblically about each situation? As we seek out ways to become more spiritually healthy, May we remember that our increasing devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ will positively impact every area of our lives and benefit everyone around us. So, to conclude, older women, please don't regard your golden years as an opportunity to go on cruise control spiritually. You're in your spiritual prime right now, and you've been given an important job to do if you don't feel like you're qualified to disciple someone think again with age comes experience maturity and godliness you have much to offer most young women crave our time and don't expect us to know all the answers that's god's job as we direct younger women to search for god's answers through his word and share what we've learned through both our mistakes and successes they will be able to grow in christ Mature ladies, will you take the initiative by the end of this year and seek out a younger woman to mentor? I can assure you that you are more than adequate in Christ if you're abiding in his love, reading his word, and depending on his strength. Younger women, will you be receptive if an older woman seeks you out? If an older woman prayerfully approaches you, most likely God has something for you to learn or will you take the initiative to seek out an older woman for counsel? We can all learn so much from each other. Also, if you are a younger woman and aspire to be heavily involved in ministry to others, I highly encourage you to prioritize your family while your children are still at home. I'm aware of a number of women who desire to give so much time and attention to the needs of others that their children suffered or became resentful and at times rebelled. If you are a younger woman, there is plenty of time down the road for sacrificial ministry to those outside your family. No matter what stage of life we're in, we can and should live in a way that is becoming to Christ with reverent behavior. May our heart's desire be to please God in a way that is exemplified by the hymn, Take My Life. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of your love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my will and make it thine. It shall no longer it shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne. Take myself, and I will be ever only all for thee. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful um, for this evening when we can learn so much from the, the book of Titus 2. And Lord, we've learned that reverence is all-encompassing. It, it really does um, mean everything that is within us and everything that we live out, everything we speak and think. And I pray that you will help each of us to take a little nugget home and ask the Lord, ask you, to help us to repent of a sin that is plaguing us, to improve in an area that needs work. Um, just help us to continue moving forward in faith and in trust in you. We thank you and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. And ladies, I know it says closing remarks and dismissal. Well, this, this is your dismissal. So enjoy. We've got about five minutes till we need to head out. Um, I know our security men are very eager to get home to their own families. So try to be pretty prompt in getting out to your cars. Thank you.